Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Lord, may we stay close to you uh, as we live each day. May we abide in you, find our strength in you, our hope, our encouragement and peace. Lord, may we honor you in all things, living sacrifices, that we bring glory to your name. Amen. You can turn to Romans uh, chapter 12 if you want to. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago actually, last week I was at camp, uh, I mentioned as I often do that I have the best job ever. Well, I also have the weirdest job. While I was at camp, uh, I, I was walking away uh, from one of the activities that we had uh, with some of the young guys, uh, other, other counselors from another church, uh, and, and they were commenting on something I had done. Uh, you know, it was one of those crazy games that we played. But uh, I, I mentioned to them, yeah, it, it is part of my job. I actually get paid to do this. And the activity was broom hockey. Um, some of you know what that is. Some of you don't have a clue what that is. Well, th- just think hockey without skates and instead of sticks, you use brooms. Uh, and you run around, you put cages on your face and different things. But among the many things that I am that probably wouldn't be called the best, uh, well, broom hockey is pretty good. I won't lie about that one. But the, the weirdest, the most unusual, because believe it or not, when I went to school, even as a youth pastor in a youth ministry track, they didn't teach us how to play broom hockey. Uh, they didn't teach us things like I was joking about with the students of how to walk the aisle of a moving bus without falling over on your face or catching a kid as they, they forget that the bus actually stops from time to time and they try to go flying through the windshield and you have to reach out and grab them, uh, stop them and different things. But besides being a professional broom hockey player, I am also a professional, uh, sorry, bear with me, hopefully you didn't eat too recently um, and this is far enough away from your pie after the service to I think be okay. But I'm a professional vomit cleaner. When we're on a bus, guess who gets t- the tap on the shoulder while he's taking a nap, resting from the weekend, and we're driving back, and a kid is, I don't know, well, you know, enjoyed the bus ride down the hill. That would be me as the youth pastor. And you think, on, on a bus as a youth pastor, again, they don't train you for this. You think, what do I have that nobody else has here? I'm on a bus. It's not stopping. It, well, I'll, I'll let you figure out what we do, but I'm the guy that gets woken up for that. The last few years, also, I've had to become a zombie expert. I hate monsters. Monster movies and me, we're not fans. I think it stems from being a youth pastor's kid at a Universal Studios trip. I was underneath Jaws, which seemed awesome at the time. They had the big plastic shark hanging there. And I was a little kid, so I crawled under its mouth, and I hear it tapping on the side. I look up, and it's Frankenstein. And I just got to say, when you're already scared to death of the the deep end of the pool because of the Jaws movie, and you're in Jaws' mouth, and Frankenstein is telling you to get out of there, that is a scary moment as a seven, eight-year-old kid. Uh, I ran all the way across Universal Studios, but it's very interesting to find myself as a, of necessity, zombie expert. By the way, all you need to know about zombies is one, yes, the military perhaps has a plan, but they'll never tell you about it because it's secret. They do, though, have a zombie plant in their book somewhere. It's kind of amazing. I won't tell you how I know that. And two, 
Uh, there are three things that have come out of a movie. I've never seen it, but all you need to know to, to live through the coming zombie apocalypse, as my high school guys will tell you. I think it's a backlash to Twilight, by the way. The girls are into glittery vampires, so the guys went to, the, went to zombies that are gross. But, I, by the way, I like using pictures most of the time. I, I was trying to find a good zombie picture to show you, and by good, I meant not gross. And they aren't out there. There just aren't zombie pictures that I could comfortably show in church. But the three things you need to know with zombies, and if you tell my high school guys this, they'll love you and they'll be amazed by me, is cardio. You need to exercise. Seatbelts, always have one on in the car. And then double tap. Don't ask what that one is. Uh, It's not bad, but you don't want to know. Here's the thing, though. Besides being somebody with the weirdest job alive, I mentioned last time, almost as cool would be zookeeper, circus trainer, and it really is the same set of skills for youth pastor too. Besides being the coolest, it's it's the weirdest, and it requires a very weird person to like it. But in the weirdness, you have moments like being at camp, and I'll give you some of the good things that happen at camp near the end. So you have to pay attention, you have to stay awake, and you can't tune out on your phone keeping tabs on the uh, San Francisco game. But My brain sometimes acts in odd ways. You can ask the students. They don't even understand it sometimes, the jumps. I mean, they get what I'm saying, but they're like, how did you connect those two things? And we're going to connect for a moment. You don't have to go there with me, but just this is how my brain works. The theme verse for camp this year was Romans 12, 1 and 2, which, of course, is living sacrifices, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, And as a youth pastor, my brain automatically jumps to, and don't be a zombie in church. Because clearly that's what Paul is saying. Paul was not thinking about zombies, by the way. But that is how my brain works. It's a little off. Don't worry. I'm okay. I'm, I'm sane. I'm just confused. But, and we won't talk about zombies too much tonight. But if you know what a zombie is, and if you don't, don't worry about figuring it out. You don't want to be a zombie. That's all you need to know. And you take that passage of living sacrifices where we willfully crawl up to an altar and stay there as a sacrifice that isn't dead yet. You could imagine that having all these zombies walking around the hallways that decided to get up off of the altar would be a bad thing. Think of every monster movie you've ever think of, just whatever monster. If that's what you became, you know, partially alive, partially not, obviously not what you need to be, and you were walking around not living out your actual purpose. That would be a mess for the church, wouldn't it? If you know what zombies are, it'd be really messy for the church. It'd be a bad thing. So I'm going to take you through Romans a little bit. That was, again, this, some of this is just an insight into my brain, which is scary. Hopefully, ignore that part and just latch on to the, to the scripture part. But I think you'll see a neat thing that that popped out at me, I love Romans, by the way, I've taught through Romans many times, and I hadn't noticed this transition yet until I was sitting there listening to the speaker, and it wasn't even his point, by the way. But I was listening to the speaker, I thought, you know what, we, God has this on this altar, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He wants us there, and if we crawl off, we become something that he doesn't want. But then he keeps going, he doesn't stop at Romans 12, 2. The book could end there. One of the many things that you need to realize that scripture is if the verse, or if there's another verse after the one you're looking at, there's a reason for that. You need to connect the two. If the book doesn't end, the book kept going for a reason. And sometimes we stop short and we forget that. Let me take you to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Pretty familiar 
verse, and no, you won't actually find zombies in there. 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a very familiar thing, or verse, excuse me. But before you just stop there, Paul expects you to remember all the rest of Romans that he's talked about at this point. Romans 1 through 11. It's pretty neat. It's an amazing section. I'd encourage you to go read it at some point if you haven't done it recently. But Romans 1 through Romans 11, there's a bunch of ways that you could describe it or some different things. A couple words that you could describe it with. The camp speaker used mercy. Romans 1 to 11 is about mercy. And then you come to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, because of mercy, living sacrifices and transform minds. Another one that I always, when I'm trying to explain to my students is Romans 1 to 11 is Paul's basic and really just significant theology. Everything you need to know about theology at its basic core pretty much pops up in Romans 1 through 11. Starting with, we reject God, every one of us, for a number of reasons. Romans 1 and 2, we all reject him. Romans 3, because of that we're condemned to death. Romans 4, it's only through faith. I'm not going to go every chapter because I'll start forgetting some, but Romans 4, it's because of faith, like Abraham. That's how we're saved. Romans 6, I mean, it's not faith that doesn't save us. Christ's work saves us. It's through faith, though. 5 and 6, while we're enemies, God died for us. 7, Paul gets into the, I struggle all the time. 8, beautiful verse, 8, 1, no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Nine and ten, those are the fun ones. (laughs) A little more discussion comes out of those than the others. And then eleven, one of my favorite passages or sections of scripture, verses, Paul wraps that up. Romans 1 through 11, mercy. Romans 1 through 11, theology. Romans 1 through 11, sin and our need for a savior. And what happens when that savior comes into our life? No more condemnation. Nothing can separate us. And then it goes to Romans 11, and you've heard me talk about this before because I love it that much. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, living sacrifices and transform minds. And we're really good about Romans 1 through 12, 2. Well, actually, we're not really good at that. We really stink at it. But we're pretty good about remembering it and thinking about it and saying, okay, Lord, let me, a lot of people have memorized Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it's a great verse to memorize. If you haven't, to think about it, that is the, the turning point in Romans, by the way. You have Romans 1, 11, 1 through 11, which is the setup, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is a great key verse. Probably one of several. Romans has a ton, but one of several. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, definitely, I mean, he puts the word therefore in there. So it's a turning point. Tells you we're going from this to this. Do you know what the other this is? What do we turn to, though? 
Where does Paul go next? Don't cheat and look. Where does Paul go next? Romans 12, 3 to 15 whatever, and really 16 whatever, Paul pretty much goes to one subject. I don't know what it is. There are probably different way, a couple different ways to, to describe it. He goes to relationships. Now, now cheat. Look at your subtitles. Look at everything he talks about there. Romans 12, we're going to go through this in a minute, and I'm going to read a lot tonight. Believe it or not, I'm going to speak less and read more. That's probably a good thing. Romans 12, 3, there's no subtitle there in mine at least, but that's the body, and I'll read that in a minute. Romans 12, 9, does yours say love or anything like that? Mine does. Romans 13, submission to authorities, guess what that's called? That's a relationship. Might be your least favorite relationship of all time, but it's still a relationship. Romans thirteen eight. If yours doesn't have a subtitle, I'll give you mine. Love for the day is near. Paul goes back to love. Talks about it again after submission. Notice he doesn't say love the authorities. <laughs> he just says submit to them. <laughs> love in other relationships. Authorities. Hey, if you can submit, we're. G- I don't know that that's the point. Actually, I'm going to guess that's not the point. But Romans 14, the weaker and the stronger brother, that's how to deal with, within the body, relationships that are struggling. And then what are Romans 15 and 16? Do you remember? That's the boring part of Romans, right? If you've heard me speak before, there are no boring parts of Scripture. You've heard me say that. Wait a minute, did he say that? And Pastor Benji's in the back, so nobody wanted to admit to that. Nobody raised their hand. That's the part where he says hello to every citizen that is alive in Romans. At least that's how it feels like when you're reading it or memorizing Romans. Like, Paul, how many? really? You're worse than people on Facebook. It's like 2,000 friends that you just met. You can't know 2,000 people, Paul. He says, hey, hey to Bob, hey to Mary, hey to... No, I mean, they're different names. They're Greek names. But he goes through seriously the phone book in Rome. He says, hey, this person's there. Say hi. Say hi. Say hi. This person's great. Say hi. Say hi. Say hi. What is that? It's relationships. He sets up Romans 1 through 11 with mercy, theology, our sin, Christ's greatness, and his plan of salvation. The fact we're not condemned. He goes to the great verse that we all memorize, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Living sacrifices transform mind. And then he goes straight to the heart of life. Once we get right with God... It's all those other people around us that keep stepping on our toes. Because whether we like to admit it or not, we've all thought, man, life would be really easy. It was just me and God. And it's really tough when it's not just me and God. And he turns to relationships. We're just going to read through that. And it's not that this is more important than the other, but it is really interesting to me that God goes from this great theology section in Romans to this verse that just, try to remember when you first heard that verse. Nails you to the floor. Actually nails you to the altar. Says, now you stay there. No getting up. You're dead. Well, you're living sacrifice, but you stay there. No wandering away and being a zombie in the church. You stay on the altar. And guess what? This is what you live out on the altar. This is how you live out your faith. This is how you have a transformed mind, or at least how you know you have a transformed mind, when you start thinking differently 
like what's going to follow. It's kind of interesting. Go back to Romans 12, 3, 3. A lot of reading, a little bit of explaining, but a lot of reading. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Talk about needing a transformed mind. I, I think I already got off the altar right here, to be honest. I don't like living that way. Partway through three, rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And I don't mean to imply that Paul meant us to stop here. But, but we do that, and I can't read forever. This is, hey... Living sacrifice to the glory of God. Transform mind so we stop acting like the world and start living holy, pleasing, doing the will of God. And as we do that, the very first thing he goes to next is the church is a body. We're all connected to each other and we all have a purpose and we need to live out our purpose and we need to think not as ourselves, as more important than anybody else, but simply in the proper perspective. They're more important than me. I think the biggest reason he goes to they're more important than me is because we weren't really going to nail the they're as important with me part. We have to strive for more important to even hit that. To get the part where we all say, you know what? God, like kids of parents, God loves us all the same. He's not more in love with me than he is with everybody else. So when I mistreat them, guess who's going to knock on my bedroom door and say, hey, son, we need to have a little discussion about your, how you're treating your sister. Think of them as more highly, high, excuse me, think of them as higher than you. More important than you. They're the one who gets the last donut in the Sunday school donut box. And that's the easy one, even though we struggle at it. It says, and serve, and get involved with each other. We're living sacrifices when we're effectively living out the body of Christ by serving the way God has gifted us. Whether it's teaching, or giving, or leading, or serving behind the scenes. But it's in relationship. Our faith is never meant to be disconnected from other Christians. From the minute he sticks us on the altar. Living sacrifices are lived out in connection to others. No zombies running around the church who got off the altar. Second one, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spirit, spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is in the right do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it, is a, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with anyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a fun verse to go study. I'd encourage you to do that. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I don't know if you heard it in there, but it's all relationships. Because you love God and you've crawled up on the altar and you've said, I'm going to cling to this no matter what. And there's so many things that want to pull me off the altar because it's much easier to just say, you know what? I don't want to change my mind. I'm tired of living for God. But if you get Romans 1 through 11, that's not really a choice. If you even understand just that doxology part that I read, Oh, how amazing is God? What am I thinking about crawling off the altar for? How amazing is God? All I have to do, all I want to do, because God is that spectacular, is mourn with those who mourn. Is to live in harmony with the person on the opposite side of the sanctuary as me because we can't walk the hallways without giving each other the stink eye. My goal is to change that because I love God and I'm sitting here on an altar and I'm not getting off. I'm going to stay here. But you know what, Lord? You've got to change my mind because, man, when they give me the stink eye, I'm really good about giving it right back at them. That's just the way I think. God says, change your mind. Be transformed. Be connected to the body be connected and in relationship with people by showing them love and patience, being faithful in prayer for them. God takes us through this great theology of Romans 1 through 11, and he has his focus on his glory, and he tells us to be living sacrifices, and then he says, by the way, that includes somebody else too. You're not alone on the altar. It's, it's actually a pretty packed house because you're all in it together. You're saved alone. You need faith that's your own. But you can't pretend it doesn't matter how you treat those of faith. And he goes through love. Next he goes to Romans 13. I want to talk about a transformed mind being necessary. Just think about the best of your neighbors who doesn't love God. Shoot, think about, think about the best of Christians. How hard is it to submit to authorities, especially governments, without God transforming your mind to change it? Especially as a United States citizen, where we can trash the leaders without consequence sometimes. Let me read it. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And before you throw out the typical American objection, which I like to use too, but they didn't know how hard it is to follow our leaders. There's not a single American official that I know of, at least, that has ever burned a Christian as a lamp. Paul's audience knew that. The leaders of Rome were horrible, horrible, awful. I'm sure you can think of someone worse. Actually, I'm not. You might be able to think of someone worse than one or two of them. But if you read Suetonius' 12 Caesars, it's kind of scandalous. In fact, I have it, and I'm not going to let you read it, but every once in a while I pull it out to find something, and it's kind of embarrassing to read in, in church. You feel like you're doing something dirty. You're like, but I, it, it's, it's a history book about the 12 Caesars. And if you're looking up something about Nero, you, you use it, but as you're reading it, you're like, oh my gosh. My parents would wash my mouth out with soap if they knew what I was reading right now. <laughs> this is a wretched book. It's a history because people are that bad. The Romans knew what, how difficult it could be, what it meant to submit to an authority. They didn't get to vote for him either. That one's tough. And yet God says, hey, living sacrifices, transform minds, submit to authorities because I put them there. I will hold them accountable. This is the part that's not said in here, but is understood. I will hold them accountable for how they fail as a leader. Don't ever struggle for a minute thinking they'll get away with mistreating people. Nor does it mean that we can't challenge that. In the United States, we have a lot of freedoms, and we even have some freedoms for disobeying the government. But we have some freedoms, or some non-freedoms there too. We can cross a line and we can land in jail rightfully so. The Bible's not saying that's okay. I don't have, personally have a problem with civil disobedience. I don't think it ignores that passage, but we have to submit to authorities. Another section, if you want to, uh, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter 2, verse 18, in case you thought it was only Rome. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Several times in the New Testament, God talks about submitting to authorities. And here he pairs it with living sacrifice. If I want to stay on the altar to God and say, Lord, I want to do your will, God says, great, ready for the next test? You passed the body. You didn't, by the way. You passed the love test. Okay, you didn't pass that one either. Third one, how about submitting to authorities? Your boss. With my students, I like to throw out not just their teacher, they know that one, but their substitute teacher. I get them with that one every time. 
Are you kidding me? That's the one you get to mess around with? No, it's not the one you get to mess around with. If any substitute teachers are in the room, if my kids are behaving, you can thank me. No, just kidding. Any, your coach? Man, you want to talk about authorities that are being undermined right now? Coaches and refs. I don't know why anybody referees a youth league anymore. And I'm not talking about high school. I'm talking about like peewee leagues. Some of my students, by the way, ref them, and I hear what some of you all do at game. Well, not you all, but it's absurd. For five bucks an hour, whatever minimum wage is for them that they let them get away with, they get insulted nonstop and told they're stupid. And it's five-year-olds. that All they do is run around and chase the ball. It's soccer, five-year-old soccer. Everybody runs after the ball. You don't even have to blow the whistle. But we fail at this miserably. Next one, 13.8, in case, well, because we failed the love test before, Paul goes right back to love. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever, you com- and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. It continues on, but he says, hey, wait, let's go backtrack, okay, before you get distracted by the authority thing and I miss you completely, go back to love. Here you go. And and it really is on the heels of six and seven there, where it says, give people what you owe them, and God says, you will always owe a debt of love to absolutely everyone until you die. How's that for a challenge? There's no day you get to retire from loving other people. There's no day you get to clock out and head home from loving other people. We're always indebted to everybody else that we see or know of or would fall into any other category besides those two to show them love, to show them biblical love. Then it goes into 14. I preached on that a year ago, but 14.1, except in those, except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. We're horrible on that. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us judge somebody else in church this morning, let alone in the last year? You judged how somebody's kids were behaving in the parking lot. You judged how late somebody came in. Really? Benji's almost done. Well, Pastor Greg this morning. Pastor Greg's almost done. Why are you even showing up now? You judge how somebody parked or failed to park, (laughs) how they drove, what they wore, what they thought, which is pretty spectacular because last I heard, you don't know what anybody else is thinking. And we judge them, don't we? Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Granted, those are disputable matters, but I don't remember hearing about somebody murdering anybody in the hallway today. So I think we're probably in disputable matters quite a bit more than we think. Verse 4, if you missed verse 1, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Before you run up and criticize, and there's a time for that, by the way, but before you run up and criticize somebody else, remember you are not their master. God is. We stand before God and God alone. We stand with other people. 
but we stand before God alone. Living sacrifices. Say, you want to be a living sacrifice? Great. I've made you a living sacrifice. I've saved you. You're sitting on the altar before you try to crawl off because it's too hard. Are you thinking about that? Here's another one. Quit judging your brothers and sisters in Christ. Quit viewing them as weaker because they enjoy a freedom you don't believe exists. That's different, by the way, from God has clearly spelled something out. Gray matters. Disputable matters. Whether you do this or this, when God doesn't say whether you do this or this. If God said don't, that's not disputable anymore. God said do, not disputable anymore. It's when we say do and don't. That's the disputable part. And God says, hey, Romans 12, 1 and 2, living sacrifices. Here's where I'm turning to next, relationships. That's the test of living out it as a sacrifice, a transformed mind. And then, like I said, 15, he turns into his own friendships and he mentions that. Romans, the last part, the last third, give or take a little bit, is talking about being a living sacrifice and talking about the fact that our faith is lived out through relationships. First John says the same thing. How can you say you love God when you can't stand next to somebody else who says they love God because you're fighting too much? Philippians, where Pastor Benji has us, eventually we're going to get to the two fighting ladies, and I'm looking forward to what he says about that. Because the Bible is constantly clear. You can't love God and hate each other. That is not faith. That's hypocrisy. It says your faith is lived out in community, which to be honest sounds a whole lot like what Pastor Greg said this morning. Our faith is best lived out in community. I want to challenge you in a couple things then because of that. Number one, stop by the small group fair if you haven't already. It's a great way. It's not the only way, but it's a great way to establish community where you get outside of a room where you're all facing me and you have to do a crazy thing like sit in a circle where you can eyeball each other and you're going to cry sometimes and you're going to have to admit things that you didn't want to admit to people. And I don't mean have to like we're going to make you. I mean, that's that's just part of transparency. And you're going to challenge each other to say, you know what, this, by the way, is where you do confront somebody. You know what, your kid like hit every car in the parking lot today as they rode their bike by, and they didn't say anything. i got to be honest. You need to get get them under control. And you're like, I don't know how. (laughs) Great, we have a small group for that too. To be honest, they're teenagers. Good luck with that one. But you get in community with somebody else, and they pray for you, and they say, yeah, you know what, I've I've been there too. In fact, (laughs) my kid, nobody saw him, but they were right behind yours. (laughs) They hit all the cars, yours missed. It's just nobody saw them that day. And you're in a community. Or you, you go through a horrible loss. I hear this every once in a while from some of my students. I'm like, that's because you're trying to live your faith out alone. You don't like everybody else here and you push them away. And you're sitting there going, this isn't fair. Why isn't God talking to me? And you're like, because you, you pushed away his body, which is how he planned on talking to you on encouraging you, on carrying you through the loss of a kid, a loved one, or a forced retirement known as, ooh, I got fired. (laughs) And, And I'm only 30. I didn't really plan on retiring when I'm 30. 
what do I do now? And they come along and they say, well, you know what? We'll pray for you. They come along and it's amazing. The stories of how the church does this is amazing. They come along and for a couple months is needed. All of a sudden that small group carries a family that had no food. And God said, I'm talking to you all the time. It's just through that, that person you don't like. We get them in the office with homeless people and they say, I need some money. Well, I don't have any money. I, I got a phone. You got any family that you can call? And it's amazing to me how often I hear we don't talk. <laughs> how about today starts? <laughs> Maybe God is putting you through this so you have to call your brother who you cursed out last Christmas. And you have to patch things up with him. Because God's saying it's either live out in the cold or let me fix your relationship. I'd rather fix your relationship. I'd rather bring healing than have you freeze out in a car. It's amazing to me how often somebody says, I can't do that. Well, okay, number one, it's I won't do that. Let's be honest here. Sometimes it's, well, I would, but my family won't. And often it's because they burn their bridges too much. But community. Small group fair for the church. Go check it out. There is a small group for you. And if there isn't, talk to Pastor Greg. He'd love to help you start one. Second one, that body part was all about service. If you can't find a small group or you're too busy, great. I hope you're too busy because you're serving in which case, guess what you had and didn't realize it? You have a small group. You just don't meet as a small group. You meet as a service group. This is my youth staff, by the way. We fail all the time in it. But my youth staff, I, I love it when, when my youth staff is hurting and they grab another youth staff person because I really don't like it when they grab another kid. <laughs> hey, you know, meet my needs. That's not the point of the youth staff. But they grab a youth staff person because we have enough. Or I, I make them because they're still trying to serve. I'm like, you know what? You need to grab somebody else on our team and, and just go in the other room. And I don't care if I see you again tonight. Because we're not just here for the students. That's a small group. We pray for each other. We love each other. We get mad at each other, kind of like a family does from time to time. They have to, they have to live out the Romans 13, submitting to a horrible authority. That'd be me. <laughs> Hopefully it's not horrible. Small groups, but service. I'll tell you who to talk to at our church. Michelle Winger needs help. Randy Georgie needs help. They've had some people that have had to drop out of Awana. He needs help. You need to go through our, our CAP process, child abuse prevention, but you need to go through that. Our tech ministries could use some help, Sunday night and 12 o'clock service in particular. You can talk to me. You can talk to the guys at the back, Kevin Biggs and Russ Lycan in particular. It's not that hard. Okay, sometimes it's hard. <laughs> I don't want to lie. Because you guys have all, you know, done the whiplash thing to look back when we fail. It's, the hard part is everybody knows when we mess up. But it's fun. We get along, you know, get by back there. God shows us grace. Chet and David for the worship. Get involved. Christine Wright, if you want to get involved in helping teenagers, go talk to her. She just took it over. See how you can help. Maybe you've never done that before. Even the perspectives class, it meets at 5.30. You're here at 6, show up at 5.15, see if, see if they need help. And then come in here when you're done. There's a lot of ways to serve. A lot of ways to serve. Last one, I told you I was going to tell you a little bit about camp. Mentioned the zombies because of the youth thing, but 
they, they talked about living sacrifices, which is a great passage. It's, it's a good one. It rolls around at camps every once in a while. But some other neat things happen. Um, one of them on Saturday nights happens every Saturday night when we're up there. This is how you can pray. We're going back with the junior high February 10th through 13th. So on Saturday the 11th at 7 p.m. be praying because we're in chapel with the gospel message. And two of our kids stayed behind to accept Christ for the first time. That's awesome. That's when my job goes from being weird. I'm sleeping in a cabin with you know, a bunch of, at junior high, a bunch of stinky guys to cool. The best. Amazing. Be praying for my youth staff as we follow up with them. Trying to help them in the process of being a living sacrifice. Having their mind, mind transformed. Second night, Sunday, this doesn't happen most of the time, um, but they had a confession night. There were a thousand kids there, and I'm betting 700 to 800 stayed behind in chapel just to pray and talk with God on their own and say, you know what, Lord, I need to refocus. I keep trying to crawl off the altar. They were doing the zombie thing. I'm dead to myself, Romans 6, dead to sin, alive in Christ. I'm a living sacrifice, and I keep trying to crawl off and go up, go back to the old stuff. And I stayed behind, and some of them we talked with, and some of them we just let be quiet and pray on their own. But it was cool. It was amazing. I get to live that out two or three or four or five times every year. I really do have the best job. Top of that, this is the last one, I'll, I'll pray after this. Two of my guys um, shared in, in since then or there uh, that they're thinking about studying and going into Christian apologetics. The speaker was talking about that a whole lot. Um, it's pretty cool. If you know the two guys, it's even better. Uh, I love them. They're cool guys. One of them, though, a number of years ago, and this is another neat part about my job, he was helping with VBS, and he didn't really want to help, but all his friends, he's a year younger than everybody else, all his friends were helping. It's like, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I'm going to be there. And they asked him to pray. He pretty much had one of the worst VBS fails of all time <laughs> in trying to pray. Um, not that he had that bad of a prayer, but his heart was that bad. He was mad about something, and, and, he, and he took it out on the kids while he was praying. Well, he's gone from that as a junior high kid to wanting to defend the faith. It's apologetics. To wanting to be one of the Christians on the front lines with a buddy of his, they're, they're two really good friends, with a buddy of his explaining and defending the faith to those who don't know it. That's a good week at camp. It's a fun time. You want to know why you need to bump into each other? You want to know why God put us in relationship to live out living sacrifices and transform mine? Because you guys need to hear other people's success stories and celebrations. I was praying with another pastor. I guess I'm adding one. I'm going too long now. But I was praying with another pastor uh, who I love dearly. And the church is going through some tough times. But the youth he's a youth pastor. The youth ministries just had an amazing moment, kind of like the ones I shared. And I said, you know what? You're the worship leader. You need to celebrate that with your church. They need to hear, because they're struggling in this area, they need to hear that God is still doing things. 
They need that relationship side. We need that too. Sometimes we feel distant and it helps to hear that God's moving in somebody else's life. And we say, you know what? If God can carry you through that, my thing is a piece of cake. If God can help me love you, don't say that to somebody, but if God can help me love you, then he's working in my life. Because you make it really hard. Again, don't tell somebody that. That won't really be very loving. But you're thinking of somebody right now, aren't you? God said, living sacrifice. You sinned and it cast you apart from me. I saved you by paying the price for your sins, dying on the cross and rising again. Be amazed by me because I am glorious and offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Have a transformed mind and go live it out in a relationship so you can be amazed all the more by who I am and what I do. That's what God says to us. Let's pray. Lord, you are so worthy. Help us never to take our attention off of you. And yet, Lord, so often we want to forget that there's somebody else looking at you too. So often we try to walk alone through the darkness or we want to walk alone because the person on the journey with us just is bugging us. Lord, help us to honor you by walking with them too. By recognizing you put us in a community of faith. We praise your name, Lord. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.